Welcome to the Daily Objective, day 78 of the war in Israel. Uh, today I have the great honor of uh, interviewing um, renowned Oxford physicist. Uh, today I have the oh, great honor of... And, and of forgetting to uh, lower the volume on my YouTube, uh, Dr. David Deutsch. Uh, he's known for his uh, work on quantum computing and... Uh, um, he has been vocal uh, in, in recent months about the situation in uh, in Israel, the response and the reactions we see uh, here in Britain and elsewhere. Uh, welcome, David. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Um, so, you know, today's a Saturday, uh, right before Christmas. You know, we're two days before Christmas. It's... Uh, uh, Christmas Eve Eve or uh, Festivus, depending on your uh, preferred American sitcom. But in central London, it is like every other Saturday, an opportunity uh, for many, many thousands to take to the streets, uh, express supposedly their concern about the situation in Gaza. But uh, we know it's it's a lot more than that. Today, they're blocking Oxford Street on what is uh, undoubtedly one of the busiest shopping days in, in what is the busiest shopping street in the country and maybe the world. Um, how how do these protests we've seen uh, since October 7th on every Saturday, uh, how do they compare, uh, as far as you can tell, to other anti-Israel protests in the past, uh, whether just randomly that uh, took place uh, throughout the year or uh, in, in different, during different uh, um rounds let's call it that in uh in in that area and to just general protest and other activism that we see uh in this country well i've uh never seen anything on this scale uh in britain by way of anti-israel protests um the there's also been uh and this is i think more important a rise in anti-semitism but I don't even think that, I mean, this is my idiosyncratic view. Uh, the thing which is called anti-Semitism, I would characterize as, as uh, violence against Jews, incitement against Jews, persecution of Jews, um, exclusion of Jews from society, that kind of thing. Um, but I think there's an underlying phenomenon, uh, and th that that thing, which I just called anti-Semitism, that thing goes up and down and tends to have, it tends to break out at times. Um, and uh, some people think it sort of breaks out randomly and some people think it, it happens once in a generation or once in, a, in two generations. Um, but I think there's an underlying phenomenon that does not go up and down. Uh, which I call the pattern with a capital P. And it, it's a pattern of uh, moral derangement, um, which is um, uh, very common. It affects people who would not dream of thinking of themselves as anti-Semitic or racist in any way. It affects Jews as well as non-Jews. And it is can be defined as a moral view or a moral compulsion to legitimize hurting Jews for being Jews. And that, I think, changes 
only very slowly over time. Uh, it, it 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 doesn't have outbreaks, um, and um, it occasionally, fortunately, quite rarely, um, uh, gives rise to anti-Semitic actual anti-Semitism. Um, so in this in this respect, the the Holocaust is extremely unusual. You know, we think of the Holocaust as something that sort of broke out in 1933 or 1942 or something. Um, but that conceals the fact that underneath the the Holocaust and and anti-Semitic outbreaks, there is this moral derangement which was there all the time, and uh, which things like Nazism and and so on and and all sorts of philosophical movements throughout the millennia um, have have harnessed made use of not they incited it it's it's the other way around it's not that Christianity incited anti-semitism it's anti-semitism was adopted by Christianity opportunistically because it um, made them more popular. And it's the same with the Nazis and so on. Now, I can't say, you know, exactly when these outbreaks happen, but they tend to happen when the legitimacy of hurting Jews is challenged. And th so uh, there were outbreaks at the time of the Enlightenment when Jews were emancipated and everybody thought anti-Semitism would go away. On the contrary, anti-Semitism, there was a massive upsurge of anti-Semitism in Western Europe, the very place where the Enlightenment happened, where you would have thought anti-Semitism would have been considered obsolete. But no, that's exactly where the upsurge of anti-Semitism happened because the Enlightenment challenged the pattern. It challenged the legitimacy of singling out anyone, but in particular, singling out Jews for being hurt. And the existence of Israel, the very existence of Israel from 1948 has been a red rag to the bull of the pattern, because Israel is the one place where, by definition, it's not legitimate to hurt Jews for being Jews. And um, the... One say one more thing. Now, this has been rather a long, tedious answer, but but um, as well as the Enlightenment being the enemy of the pattern and therefore paradoxically causing the pattern to break out into anti-Semitism, sometimes the greatest enemy of the pattern is the Anglosphere, or rather, the political institutions of the Anglosphere, Britain and and the United States and the other Anglosphere countries, um, they haven't had, how can I put this? There's plenty of the pattern in those countries, but actually enacting it is violently opposed to the basic um, political philosophy and, and um, everyone's assumptions about what the state is and what to expect from other citizens and so on. So, um, and so uh, the, the pattern has been less 
historically in the Anglosphere than in every other country of the world. Uh, so I'll stop there. <laughs> so I'll actually jump to something I was I was going to ask you later because I think it, it kind of fits in. So I was checking earlier today and, you know, Jeremy Corbyn's uh, tweet from October 17th uh, accusing Israel of the uh, Al-Ali uh, hospital um, accusing Israel of bombing the hospital, which we, we now know, and we quickly thereafter knew uh, that was not the case, saying 500 people died, which of course was also not the case. Uh, that tweet is still up. Um, Chris Williamson, uh, for people who are not familiar, he's a former member of parliament here in the UK. Uh, he constantly calls uh, for Israel's dismantling uh, on, on Twitter. Uh, you know, the list of public figures expressing uh, views like that goes on and on. I think that list is longer than uh, the list of people who express uh, pro-Israel views. And many on that list of people who express pro-Israel views do so, uh, you know, half-heartedly, apologetically. Uh, and this is uh, this is not something you hear about any other country. It's it's very unique to Israel. You don't hear people saying, uh, you know, North Korea needs to be dismantled or, or Iran, like really evil regimes. You don't hear that about them. Uh, you don't see these protests about about anybody else. So looking at that, um, what do you think, uh, where do you think we are uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the pattern in terms of historical uh, context? You know, some of us are have become very pessimistic and think we are living in some version of 1930s Germany. Uh, yeah, where, where do you see it? Uh, well, I think it's too early to to prophesy where this is going. But I don't think, uh, as I said earlier, I don't think the pattern itself has increased. If anything, it's decreased because you said there were there have been all these um, uh, the flood of accusations against against Israel. I would put that down to ordinary anti-Semitism. It's it's in other words, that was there before. It's just that people people didn't feel such a need to express this uh, and express it so clearly. But at the same time as this is happening, I think there's been an unprecedented increase in the number of people openly defying the pattern. And that's not easy to do because the pattern is woven into the culture. As I said, less in the Anglosphere than in any other country, really. Um, except maybe some countries in the Far East, which have never, never been in touch with, with the pattern or with Jews, but perhaps not even there. Um, but um, this is an issue on which people are prepared to ditch their friends if their friends um, refuse to join in with the pattern. And at, at the same time, there is an uh the 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 pattern is built into everyone's thinking it's built into my thinking as well and and you know i can't speak for you but but it is it is very common and no one is immune and it's in culture in some cultures it has become the dominant morality but that it is a a a part of morality uh 
if not the dominant one, then 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 a hint of it, or or in some way integral to the morality of the society or the country, that is ubiquitous. And so uh, the fact that so many people are explicitly uh, defying the pattern is a very hopeful sign. Uh, much more significant, I think, than the actual outbreaks of violence, uh, intimidation, cruelty, uh, and so on, on uh, which might be called anti-Semitism. Well, I see I'm going to be the, the voice of pessimism on that because I, uh, I was, I was, Thinking about how you know people who do raise concern about uh, anti-Semitism uh, here and also in America uh, nowadays often uh, combine it with uh, Islamophobia. Uh, very recently, uh, you know, uh, as well in the past couple of months. Um, do you think that's fair? Do you think there are uh, valid reasons or similarities, uh, differences? Well, uh, so Islamophobia is the name. If it if it denotes something, it denotes a kind of bigotry or racism or uh, that kind of um, xenophobia, uh, that kind of mental attitude, and uh, that does exist in regard to Jews as well. Uh, in the Anglosphere, it almost never gives rise to persecution or violence or th that kind of thing. Uh, it, it's it's just extremely rare um, for the, I mean, you know, it's unpleasant, of course, but uh, by the standards of the past and of other countries today, um, it is almost negligible. And so is Islamophobia. Um, the, um, but the, the pattern is unique to Jews and fortunately, it doesn't. It, it usually does not give rise to physical manifestations, or legal manifestations, or, or anything like that. It's it just uh, you know in in built into people's attitudes, um, and um, Jews have learned to live with this for for hundreds of years. And um, there, there's a wonderful essay or speech given by. Um, Max Nordau at the first Zionist con Congress, which I recommend anyone who's interested in the subject to read, where he both explains why, as he calls it, anti-Semitism, or I, I forget what he calls it, why that broke out at the heart of the Enlightenment in, in Germany and France, and why it did not break out in England, even though emancipation of Jews in England happened after it happened in those other in those European countries. So that to the normal way of thinking about racism and and bigotry and and so on, that's I, I would say inexplicable. I mean it's it's a paradox. And yet it was a, a stark effect um, that that uh, you know the Holocaust began in Germany. It could have be begun in France as well. It could not have begun in, in Britain or America. Uh, that, that's just inconceivable. Um, so I don't think that we are in Britain, for example. I don't think that we're in Germany in 1933, mostly because we're not in Germany at all. 
and uh, the the events of 1933 were a kind of manifestation of something that existed already. And in Britain, it exists, but is far weaker. And more importantly, it is at odds with the general political culture. It is it is fighting a war with it and has been for over a century. Uh, I want to quickly thank our super chatters. Uh, thank you, Jeff, uh, Jonathan, Bonnie, Kathleen, Jonathan again. Uh, Kathleen says, great work, guys. Uh, she also says, I fell out with someone about this conflict. Yes, uh, so have I. And I wondered why it took this conflict to, to for that to happen. Uh, so uh, a few days ago, I saw that uh, um, Delta Airlines announced a co-chair agreement with El Al. Now, I, these are the kind of things that undoubtedly they work on for a long time. It, it didn't probably start after October 7th, but it was announced after October 7th. And that's a, you know, it's a very close cooperation between, between airlines. And I contrast that with uh, some other news we, we heard in the past week or so of uh, British Airways canceling and then uncanceling a, a show from its in-flight entertainment system, uh, a show called Hapless, a sitcom about, uh, about a Jewish newspaper. Uh, they, when they canceled it, they said it, it was because they didn't want to appear to be taking sides in the conflict. So even within the Anglosphere, I think you see, you do see, uh, at least on the face of it, very different attitudes uh, between the U.S. and the U.K. Uh, well, I would consider the differences between U.S. and U.K. attitudes to be minor. Um, the the in both cases, um, the the reaction of the of the political class to the current pogrom has been better than i've seen at any time in the past we've had statements for example about israel's right to defend itself and and to eradicate hamas and so on um which have been sustained not just on day one and two, but sustained when it was politically difficult. Uh, and the, the, there has been, um, I, I don't think I've, I've uh, seen the US president say anything like that ever. And the, the British um, prime minister and, and um, foreign secretary as well, uh, sorry, the defense, the new defense secretary, I'm not so sure about the new foreign secretary, <laughs> but anyway, um, I remember when when um, I remember the Six Day War, and I remember George Brown, the deputy prime minister at the time. Immediately after uh, Brit uh, after Israel survived um, the war, and it was a very scary um, six days, saying not saying anything about, about the danger Israel was in, but saying we will not accept territorial aggrandizement by military means. No, I, I, I was just a kid. I had to look up what aggrandizement means. But um, certainly George Brown was aggrandizing himself by issuing a formal statement in favor of the pattern. And this has been the case for every conflict Israel has been ever since, 
except this one. So although there have been members of the government who've stepped out of line, it's that way round. It's the ones who've stepped out of line and said a bit too much um, that who are the exceptions in the in the you know the ruling class. So I'm not saying that the that the the government is is behaving satisfactorily, quite the contrary, but they are behaving better than they ever have before. And there is the the um the movement to defy the pattern, which I said is difficult to do, um, is is not it's not because the the case is any more black and white than it has been in the past. It's because some improvement has happened. So you think it has nothing the, the the fact that the reaction is better has nothing to do with the fact that the attack was just so much worse and and so uh, you know it's impossible to deny, although we've seen some try to try to deny it. Uh, you know, the fact that they're, live streaming themselves the fact that so many people died died in the most horrific yeah. ways well the 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 pattern is a is a moral perversion and morality trumps logic so when 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 you say they try to justify it, um what what is re what is really happening in my view is that they feel compelled to say things uh, because it's about legitimization. So they, they feel compelled to legitimize things. And depending on how ingenious they are, they may or may not be able to talk sense while legitimizing things. But the people who feel less of this urge to legitimize things, all sorts of other things come into play, such as common decency or political culture. Um, and also the... Um, the um, focus of these weekly demonstrations and so on um, have been on the um, far left and in Muslim immigrant culture. Um, so they, and both of those are kind of minority uh, cultures. The majority as you say, the majority hasn't entirely stepped up, but they haven't joined in anywhere near as much as they typically have in the past. In, in the other direction. <laughs> so uh, where there are those differences uh, between the US and, and the UK, do, how much of that do you think is, uh, like you said, let's say specifically uh, Muslim immigration, multiculturalism, the fact that immigrants to this country are, are probably not encouraged as strongly to assimilate as they are in the US? Uh, I don't think they're encouraged to assimilate in Britain or in the US. And that, that is a major problem in both countries. I think immigration would not be a problem if there hadn't been uh, this policy of multiculturalism, which is centered in the US. It's a hangover from slavery. It's it's because the the the, the political culture in America uh, uh, attached itself to the view that slavery, rather than being an abomination as a political institution, was a sign of um, badness in people's minds, racism, this, this uh, idea of racism, which has nothing to do with actual racism, 
this uh, racism was adopted by the slave owners as a ridiculous justification of their position. And the, the uh, abolitionist movement, instead of saying that's ridiculous, what you're doing is, is a violation of human rights and is, is an abomination, is an unacceptable, they switched to saying, yeah, yeah, you're racists. And uh, although the issue of slavery has, has gone away, that mistake has remained and has spread to the whole of the West. Uh, and has prevented things like, uh, has sabotaged things like assimilation of minorities. Every previous minority before, I don't know when, when to draw the line, before the 1960s or something, every previous wave of immigrants uh, has assimilated with no trouble. It's only when the doctrine of multiculturalism was introduced and, and became a political imperative that assimilation uh, was reduced, stopped, basically stopped happening, and um, the uh, immigrant subcultures, which were forced to remain in existence by the policies of multiculturalism, uh, became hostile quite naturally to the mainstream. And that, that's true in both the US and Britain and other countries. Uh, I want to also thank uh, Christopher for his super chat and thank you, Stephen, as well. Uh, so my last question is uh, about the future, but also the near future. So I, I saw earlier today that a, a ship uh, with ties to Israel, I think is how I saw it in, in, in the Hebrew report that I, I saw, it was attacked uh, near India and it was attacked by an Iranian drone. Uh, and Iran said they will continue uh, to shut down maritime shipping routes, which, which is interesting because it's kind of admitting that they have been, uh, what we already know, that, that they are backing uh, uh, you know, the Houthis in Yemen, uh, that they will continue to do this, and they said including in the Mediterranean. So it's not that unlikely uh, with, with that, with uh, Hezbollah in the, in the north of Israel or the south of Lebanon, it's not that unlikely that this could escalate into a wider regional conflict, perhaps a conflict that uh, the U.S. and maybe others will get involved in. What would you, uh, I know I'm asking you to predict the future, but what would you expect if that happens? Uh, what are we going to see here in the U.K. Uh, specifically well, in terms of anti-Semitism? So uh, I think, oh, I think it, it won't affect anti-Semitism, but... I, I think apart from the pattern, there's another wholly different, unrelated or, you know, almost unrelated thing at play here, which is the, um, uh, what shall I call it, um, appeasement, uh, Western apologism, um, uh, lack of confidence in Western values, uh, in America, isolationism. Many other countries can't afford isolationism, but, but America thinks it can. So all those things are, are in play as well. And uh, that because of that, um, American, the American, the U.S. Navy is not enforcing, is not doing its job to enforce uh, freedom of navigation in, in the ocean and so on. Now, um, as you say, <laughs> I can't prophesy, but I would expect that they will that they they will wake up and do do this the 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 
I think the British and Norwegians have already stepped in where the Americans should have done it and and with their far uh, weaker navies have stepped in to to protect cargo ships in the Red Sea. And uh, I, I think it is known to everyone who thinks about this seriously that uh, such an interruption to world trade is is uh, a, a catastrophe that is simply not acceptable. And um, the Americans and the West generally will step in to prevent it. Um, I don't think there's any reason to believe, I, I'm, I'm being very careful not to prophesy this, uh, I don't think there's any reason to believe that the situation will escalate. Um, if it had escalated, it would have escalated on October the 8th. Um, uh, and quite the contrary, um, the, the modes of escalation, which one would have expected from past times, have, have been damped down rather than exacerbated by the, the attitudes of the government's concerns. So I don't think so. But if it does happen, if, if there is a outbreak of world violence and and um, um, uh, and um, interruption to trade and and uh, economic dislocation and 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 so on yes quite likely Israel will be blamed uh, you know the Jews will be blamed but I don't think uh, anti-semitism in the sense of violence or persecution of Jews, will get any worse than it is now. That, that is, there's no reason to think it will. I mean, maybe it's going to anyway, but not because of that. Well, I, I hope you're right. Even though saying I hope anti-Semitism doesn't get worse, it doesn't sound as too optimistic a message two days before Christmas, but uh, that's that's where we are. Uh, thank you, Gail, for the, uh, the super chat as well. Um, so uh, David, where can people find out more about you? Uh, well, I'm easy. My website is easy to find on the internet. Just look for my name. Um, so uh, you you can find uh, some videos uh, where where I talk about various things. I, I don't often talk about the pattern, but uh, Richard Landis has occasionally persuaded me to do so, and he himself has has uh, done some nice videos on on the pattern. And uh, the link to your website is in the live chat. It will also be in the description. Uh, David Deutsch, thank you very much. I think we only scratched the service, surface. Hopefully you'll be uh, back on the channel. And thank you everybody for joining us. We will be back tomorrow uh, with the daily objective at a, a special start time of 4.30 p.m. UK time, 11.30 a.m. Eastern. And sorry, people on the West Coast, but that's 8.30 a.m. Pacific. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a one-time thing. We'll be back to our normally uh, normal scheduled time uh, on Monday. Uh, thanks again, David, and uh, we'll see you all tomorrow. It's been interesting.